Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist, brought to you by the Board of Conscious Capitalism in Connecticut. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also to business owners, startups and entrepreneurs. The Curious Capitalist is available on all of the world's biggest podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. Never miss an episode again and subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts from. On this episode of The Curious Capitalist, it is my great pleasure to introduce Andrea Hoban, the co-founder and chief learning officer at OG Life Lab, Mark Brackett, who is the founding director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, also a professor at the Child Study Center at Yale University, also the co-founder of OG Life Lab and the author of the book, Permission to Feel. Finally, I'm joined by Summer Paul, who is the Associate Director at the Centre for Outcomes Research and Evaluations. Guys, welcome to the Curious Capitalist podcast. I'm very excited to be learning more today about emotional intelligence. So without further ado, let's dive in. And Mark, tell me a little bit about your work and how you've managed to get to this point in your career and your work with both OG Life Lab and, of course, at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. How did I get to where I am? Well, briefly, I had a pretty difficult childhood and somehow or another became fascinated with feelings as a teenager and was blessed to have an uncle who was writing a curriculum to teach kids about their feelings and happened to have that uncle stay at my house on the weekends as he was going to graduate school. And lo and behold, uh, he inspired me to have a career and now at 51, I have the honor of running a Center for Emotional Intelligence at Yale, where we are a team of 60 people who are scientists and practitioners who do two big things. We try to get people to talk about their feelings, and then we do research to show that talking about your feelings actually matters. Over to you, Summer. Ah, look at that. We're playing team tag. Summer, it's all about you. Tell me a little bit about your job title, how you got to this role, and what does your day-to-day look like? Well, thank you, everyone. I'm excited to be here. I, um, I'm the associate director at CORE, which is a joint project between the, the Yale University and Yale New Haven Health. And in my role, I support a team of about 180 scientists and masters in public health, epidemiology-type researchers. And I'm responsible for learning and development, culture, employee engagement, diversity, inclusion, and equity, amongst other things. But those are my four key buckets. And I ended up at Yale because I fell in love with a boy that lived in Connecticut and worked at Yale. And I wanted to work with the smartest people that landed me at CORE. That's amazing. I love a bit of a love story on these podcasts. That's fantastic. Big brains meet in New Haven. It's superb. Andrea, what about your good self? Yeah. uh, Well, I am not in Connecticut. I should say that at the outset. So thanks for allowing me to participate anyway in the Connecticut (laughs) club. Always. Uh, I, you know, basically how I came into this work is um, I, for years, ran and developed training at a Fortune 500 company. Most of what I did was helping people build job skills, but found that what I loved was those transformative aspects of that job more in the leadership development function, but really 
I think that's just a fancy word for behavior change that actually helps people function more optimally, whether in at work or at, at home in their personal lives. And at the end, kind of close to the end of the journey when I was like, I need to like spread my wings. I want to do this kind of transformative work that really helps people live higher quality lives. I had met Mark through a mutual friend named Matt Kirsch, who is one of our co-founders of OG Life Lab. And we determined that the four of us, because there's a fourth co-founder that works with Mark named Dr. Robin Stern. And we decided there must be a better way to help educate people on emotional intelligence and to offer them ways to develop their skill sets. That fell right into my um, wheelhouse and passion projects of wanting to help people live higher quality lives. And so Mark and I and the other co-founders developed a program using the work out of his research and work at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence that allowed us to be able to offer programming to busy adults, which is different often than the needs of students in schools, which is another passion of, I know of Mark's in helping all kids function better in this world. And so, I don't know, that's a bit of a meandering walk around the block, but definitely how I came to know Mark and be really fascinated by the work and involved in helping people improve their skills at it. Fantastic. Now tell me about OG Life Lab. Tell me exactly kind of what you have available, if you like, to offer. Do you work directly with businesses? Do you work directly with individuals? What do you do exactly? What can you offer? Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah, we do it all. Um, you can go to our website and buy the program for yourself. So I should back up and say what we offer is a 50 step program on emotional intelligence that lives on your smartphone. And so Love our, one of our main methodologies is meeting people where they're at. And so this is a way for you to lean into training when you're ready for it and have learning experiences that actually help you change behavior over time. Part of the, the science behind what we're doing in this program is the 50 steps are 10 minutes in length or less. And so, you know, shorter attention span, we find that the shorter amount of time on a daily basis actually nets out better behavior change and ability to learn and shift differently than if you were to sit in a classroom or a conference room for a couple of days, trying to absorb the same amount of material. Mm -hmm. uh, this also gives us an opportunity in that kind of format to introduce topics at in a more sophisticated manner over time. So it's kind of a spiral learning model where you come back to things you learned before and understand them more deeply and work more deeply with skills of emotional intelligence. And people have responded really well to that. So Summer is one of our clients. And so that's uh, why I thought she would be so useful in having a conversation about emotional intelligence because she obviously has a lot of knowledge herself about it and brought the program into core to see what kind of impact it would have on people. So that's kind of how the relationship of the three of us coming together started here, Claire, was being able to see how this program could actually bring forth the work that Mark and Robin built and be able to deploy it to companies, nonprofits, hospitals, you know, law enforcement, there's like any, any group you can think of, we all need emotional intelligence and they're isn't that many different ways to learn it. And we found a way that actually does seem to move the needle for people in a way that allows them to transform their lives. So. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's amazing. I've got to confess right now, I hadn't heard of the phrase emotional intelligence because we're a Brits. And of course we don't talk about our feelings. We have a stiff upper lip in the face of great adversity. We put the kettle on. 
And then I met my American wife, who is a therapist, and we've talked at great length about emotional intelligence, and I'm fascinated. So, Summer, you have gone through the 50 steps, if you like, or, or people within your organization. How has the experience been for you, and what's been some of the successes that you've uh, noticed along the way? Well, I have to tell you how I found Mark and Andrea. My children attended the Friends Center for Children, and they were teaching my pre-K and below children emotional intelligence skills. And it was called Ruler. And I was like, I need this at work. Wow. Um, and so I did research and reached out to Mark, and I was like, what are you guys doing for, for grownups? Um, because these are some basic skills that I'm trying to fill the gaps in my organization with. And so this started the whole conversation, and I learned more about OG, and then OG came in and really train 35 of my staff. And my staff, traditionally autonomous professionals, they are the smartest people in the room. They have really big brains and they work very, very, very well independently. And what I saw was a need for collaboration, increased innovation, and some more self-regulation. So what I saw happening in pre-K around what are the inventory of my feelings? What are the words? What do these words mean and how do they match my body? And then what does that say about what my needs are? And that's essentially what we did at CORE. We started this program and had a really good participation rate. And people stopped and started at their own pace. I think the reason why people liked it so much, it was a new set of skills. It was also a solution for managing their stress. And I think burnout prevention. And when you have the smartest people in a room, yes, you can, they always want more money. We always want more money, but the smartest people in the room really want more skills that make them more competitive. And that's why OG Life Lab is a very, very, very good program. And I guess another thing that they add to that, not just is the skills and obviously the, the financial gain, but is also that sense of contentment, I guess, you know, is in having an understanding of your feelings and emotions and being able to express them and react, not respond, you're actually going to have, you know, I guess on the most simplistic level, a happier and more content life. So Mark, tell me about Ruler. I love the idea of this. I have a young son, so uh, I'm keenly listening. I want to know all about Ruler. You're talking to the right guy if you want to know more about Ruler. First, I want to just make, you know, a little comeback to you, Claire. When Ruler was just beginning, I went over to England because uh, I was invited by a very innovative head of schools in a, in Canterbury. Oh, darling, and, Canterbury. It's very posh in Canterbury, don't you know? <laughs> I'll, never forget, I'll never forget the B&B that I stayed in. But the reason why I'm telling you the story is that probably around, I, the training was from 9 till 4 or so, and around 9, 10, I begin my presentation, which is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And a teacher stands up and she looked at me and she said, my job is not to talk to my students about my feelings. Oh, <laughs> she crikey. Out of the row. Wow. <laughs> like, so when you said stiff upper lip, I was like, eh, it could be a little stronger than that. <laughs> <laughs> you hit a nerve there for sure. <laughs> um, my favorite part of that story, which was there was a teacher actually in the room who was her student and he got up out of his seat and he said, do you mind if I, you know, share something with you, sir? I'm like, not at all. He's like, I just want to let you know. I actually had a study with her. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> put that aside. So Ruler is a set of skills that define emotional intelligence. And the way we think about Ruler is it's about recognizing our own and others' emotions. So being aware of 
How are you feeling? How am I feeling? The second, understanding our feelings. Where do they come from? What makes us feel angry versus stressed versus frustrated versus overwhelmed? Labeling those feelings. So if I realize that I'm angry, am I peeved? Am I irritated? Am I enraged? Or am I livid? If I'm happy, am I content? Am I tranquil? Am I ecstatic or elated? And the are you an L of ruler has to do with really making meaning out of our own and others' emotions. The E and the R of ruler is what we do with them. It's the strategic aspect of the skill. So do I share how I'm feeling with Summer and Andrea and you, or am I more reserved about it because I don't feel safe to be my true self? How do I express those feelings in a way that communicates what I'm really feeling in a way that gets me the support I might need? And then that last skill is regulating emotion, which is what I think a lot of people oftentimes come to emotional intelligence training for. They, mm -hmm. They're thinking, I'm not dealing with my emotions. Give me strategies. So regulation has to do with the thoughts and the actions that we use to prevent unwanted emotions, to reduce really difficult ones, to initiate ones in a meeting, to get people to feel inspired, to maintain ones that are helpful and to maybe boost the morale or enhance emotions. So how do you measure the success of your, your trainings and your workshops and the 50 steps? You know, Is it in business, for example, the bottom line? How do you measure it? How can you measure the success and improvements? One of the things that's important, and I think Summer really alluded to this well, is that people come to the training for different reasons. Some people are coming to this work because they're just so stressed out and they want help to manage their stress. Some people come to this training because they really feel like they're not making the best decisions, that their emotions are getting in the way. Others come to the training because they want to build and maintain better relationships or they want to decrease burnout. And so, What's important, I think, is that because the product is about learning modules, but Andrew, you didn't really go into the coaching very much. And the coaching is what really helps to tailor the training to your individual needs. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's right. I, I didn't get a chance to mention that in my brief overview that, yes, while well, the program meets people where they're at and they get to move along at their own pace, there are uh, points in, in the sequence of these learning steps where you are asked to join a live session with an OG coach. And some of them are in small groups of five people or less, and some of them are one-on-one. -on -one. And they're designed to really help the individual or the person in the small group to absorb what they've learned on their own so they can take it into practice with greater effectiveness. And to that point, we get to see along the course of the program how people are doing with what they're learning. It's like having a front row seat to uh, human development that is different than just measuring uh, correlations. Like, you know, I'm sure, Summer, you could probably talk about the correlations that you look at as a result of people going through emotional intelligence training. But I see, you know, having been one of the coaches myself in that program for a long time, you hear stories of people like a gentleman who worked at an insurance company in their compensation department in HR. They came up with the compensation plans for this multinational insurance corporation. And every quarter he has to go before the executive committee and make recommendations. Well, we all know how sensitive it is to mess with people's comp plans. That's uh, not something you do lightly. <laughs> and so every quarter he'd go in and he'd make some recommendations and he'd get pummeled with from the executives with questions and very pointed, very aggressive questions that would get him feeling very defensive. And so he'd start responding in this defensive, what I'll call a red quadrant manner if we get into the mood meter. Um, and 
it was working against him to the point where these executives would pull his boss aside after these meetings and say, do you think he's capable of doing this job? And of course, questioning his competence did not make him feel any better. But in the middle of this emotional intelligence work, he started looking at the fact that he could probably do something about how he was showing up in those meetings. So as the next quarterly meeting came up, it happened to be that he needed to recommend, it was as the economy was shifting, and he needed to recommend some significant compensation changes across the organization. And so he made sure that he started regulating beforehand, you know, that he got a good night of sleep beforehand, that he thought through the kinds of questions he might get, that he was properly caffeinated for the moment and had enough energy for the group. <laughs> and that, um, and the, so when, when he showed up, he made his presentation and the questions started coming at him and he had made a choice before. It was like, I know I need to stay calm in this meeting. And so every time one a question got fired at him, he'd say, I'm stale calm. And he'd say, you know, I totally understand why you're asking that question. I thought about that too. Here's what the research pointed me towards. And he said about halfway through this meeting, he could feel the tenor of the entire meeting shift. And it was no longer an me versus them. It was an us. And they started asking we questions. Wow. And at the end, they accepted his recommendations with no fight. You know, what he shared with me was, you know, what's really important about that example is they did not change. No one else changed in that moment but me. I showed up differently as a result of emotion regulation skills that I learned. And as a result, I got a much better outcome for my organization as a result of that. And so I think when we think about emotions that can run so high in different parts of our lives, especially jobs when tensions run high or deadlines are afoot or we're feeling burnt out, is we tend to point fingers at other people for how they make us feel certain ways. And, and they do, you know, Mark and I've actually had conversations about this, like, can someone actually make me feel something? But, yes. <laughs> um, the, but the, I think what, what this particular example points us to is that we can take a greater responsibility for our own emotional life. And as a result, get much better work outcomes and have much stronger relationships as a result of that. And that's part of the magic of seeing people move through it in real time and share these kinds of examples that because he's learning how to regulate an entire meeting turned out differently for him with long lasting ramifications. I love it. And I think you described that beautifully, that it is, it's magical. Summer, is that the experience or a similar experience to what you've had within your business? It, it really, really is. For us, it's of course an individual. Like, so how am I feeling? What are my goals? What's going on with your team member, right? So how am I understanding how they're showing up and what they may need and what their goals are? And then there's a, a third component, which is like the collective the collective objective, right? The group dynamic. And I think what's magical about emotional intelligence training, um, so like kind of the first early steps is like, oh, how do I feel? And then some curiosity about how someone else shows up. But the real power is matching your feelings where you are now to where you want to go. So can I regulate myself? Can I shift myself? Can I read the room correctly and be clear about what my objectives are to make choices about how I show up? that really impact the goal. And that was what I see happening in my organization. When you talk about success of EI training or what the benchmarks are, for me, it's not really just someone complete the program. I think for a lot of L&D trainings, it's like, what was the participation and who completed it? I want people to participate, I want people to do it. But what's more important is what they're getting out of it and their willingness to share their personal stories 
about their yeah. challenges and successes with their team and to try to match that to the goal of the team. And one thing that I really thought was great about OG, which I say to my executive team is like, right, maybe 60% finished, but the 40% who started and didn't finish, who knows why they didn't finish? Maybe they didn't finish because they are in a pandemic. <laughs> maybe because their spouse is sick. Maybe because whatever our personal reasons are, but they can go back. So if you get something out of the first 25%, that's a win for me. If you can reflect on your own personal experiences and begin this work, it's, it's, it's you don't take one training and become emotional intelligent, right? Like it's not that. It's a life's practice. And I see my team getting better and better at it. Some people can show up and finish the whole 50 steps very, very quickly and others need more time. And I celebrate that. It's really coming back and being recursive. And for me, that's really the success benchmark. Absolutely. And building that foundation of which to grow your one's emotional intelligence moving forward into the future. I would just add one thing to what Summer said about that, that the people that the 25% that maybe did, you know, the first part of the program, they got something from it to your point, Summer. Maybe what they needed at that moment was recognition skill, which is the first foundational skill that you have to work on. And that's all they could take in at that moment but they can come back later to it. And likely that was the transformative thing that's really helped them through a difficult time or started to shift relationships for them, et cetera. Yeah, that's the, you're right. It's not just about like how many people attended and how many people completed. For us at OG, we look to measure how many people are we, how many lives have we transformed, uh, which is a much uh, higher metric and doesn't necessarily require program completion. Yeah, absolutely. Every journey starts with a step and all that. Andrea, tell me then about your uh, the mood meter. Well, I will have Mark explain that because that's his baby. He created you got it. it. Okay, Mark, can I uh, ask you a few things? Explain right. to me your mood meter. I've seen a wonderful graphic online about it, but I'd love to know a little more about the uh, the thought behind it and uh, and how useful it is in the program. The way I like to think about the mood meter is that it's a deceptively simple tool, meaning that you know, people look at it like, come on, like four colors in a box. You know, what's up with that? Summer and I work at Yale. We work with professors. They're like, you're telling me you're going to like simplify my emotional life to four colors. And my answer is yes. <laughs> um, and so the mood meter is based in a lot of science that says that how we feel at any given moment is a product of two core dimensions of human experience. The first is balance or your pleasantness. So we wake up in the morning and we appraise the world around us. Like where I'm living right now, it's kind of dreary out today. It's like misty and gray, a little bit like England, Claire, as, as often. And permanently, so, permanently, but only the North. <laughs> and so it may evoke a feeling of low energy, maybe a little bit of unpleasantness. But at the same time, I also appraise my internal psychological state. I'm in a great meeting with people I like being with. And so that generates pleasant emotions. So we determine how we feel by examining that core element of human experience, what we'll call pleasantness. And at the same time, what we're doing is we're, we're kind of looking at how much fuel we have in our bodies. Do I feel activated and I've got lots of energy or do I feel depleted of all my resources? And like, I just want to pull the covers over my head and go back to bed. And so we call that balance and arousal or pleasantness and energy. And then, those two dimensions cross and create the four quadrants of the mood meter, the yellow, the red, the blue, and the green. Yellow, high energy and pleasant, excited, ecstatic, optimistic, hopeful, 
Green, calm, content, tranquil, peaceful, relaxed. Blue, down, sad, lonely, disappointed, devastated, hopeless, despair. Red, anxiety and anger categories. So from overwhelmed, just to uneasy, from peeved all the way to livid. I do have a good emotional vocabulary just to let you know. Do you know, I was just about to say, I think that I didn't learn half of those emotions until I was well into my 20s. So I'm very, very impressed. <laughs> I, have a lot of I have a lot of time rehearsing this, so don't worry. Um, and so very briefly, what I'll just say is that, you know, for people who are mostly untrained or, or lack education in identifying feeling, the mood meter is a, it's a nice tool because it can help you to take all of what's going on inside of you and just put it into a little space of four quadrants and you know what i'm kind of yellow and i'm a little bit green or i'm a little bit red and then you start asking those questions of ruler well what's going on for you what might be the best word i really like it and and you're right you know we are talking about some of the biggest brains that are available have you know worked in this field but the simplicity of it, just seeing it on the screen earlier today, I was like, I like this, you know, I feel like it's accessible to anybody wherever they are on that journey, you know, and that's that's quite incredible. So question then, Mark, you've obviously visited my, my motherland. What about using the program, if you like? What are the chances of ever getting this onto a curriculum within, you know, schools as a staple subject, if you like? Because I feel it's so important. I feel that... Children and young people who don't have experience or exposure to clearly identifying feelings and emotions, being able to acknowledge them and recognize them and react, not respond, are really at a disadvantage. Surely this should be part of a, an educational curriculum for young kids. I mean, that's what Summer mentioned, right? That's how, you know, she became interested in this because her four-year-olds and five-year-olds were learning about it, which is awesome. In America, or the United States, Ruler is also not only the name of the skills, but it's the name of our program. And we're in 3,100 or more schools across the United States, as well as in many schools, by the way, in England, in Spain, Italy, Australia. We are building a center for emotional intelligence in China right now. Fantastic. Um, Mexico, I'm doing trainings in Santiago, Chile next month. And so this work is expanding across the world. And what I will tell you is that it's quite exciting because people are starting to recognize, as I say, there's an another side to the report card. And that is really focusing on people's social and emotional development. And one reason for that, as a professor for 20 years at a place like Yale, where every child has better grades than I had as a student, every student has higher test scores than I ever got when I was a student. But over 50% of our students are seeking treatment for mental health challenges. Yeah. And so if our if our metric for success is getting into a good university, then we're really missing out on what it means to live a full life. Because if we don't have well-being, if we don't make good decisions, if we can't build and maintain healthy relationships, which is what I think really gets us through life, we're doing a disservice to our children. I couldn't so agree more. Just to wrap up, I think that finally, you know, after 25 years of this field being out there, the recognition is higher than ever before that this has to become a permanent part of our education system. Do you think that that's been bolstered somewhat by the pandemic? I think, yeah. you know, certainly that, you know, conversations about mental health and mental health within the workplace and within an educational setting has, it feels like it's never been more top of the agenda, particularly with uh, more people working remotely on their own and in their own heads, I guess. 
Do you feel that it's yeah. taken I'll, a leap on? I'll share one thing and then I'd love for Summer and Andrea to share. But I remember one, actually, it was an OG client. I was doing a little special thing for our OG clients. And this one person said to me, you know, Mark, you know, I never really believed in emotional intelligence, but then the pandemic hit. And then, you know, I was with my wife way more than I'm used to. I was with my kids way more than I'm used to. I was <laughs> not only, you know, you know, doing my job, but I was also like co-teaching my kid. I was also the cafeteria worker. I was also the custodian. I was also the tech coordinator. He's like, I've had more emotions in the last few months than I've had in my whole life. And I don't know what the heck to do with them. And so can you give me some strategies? <laughs> and I think, you know, with every crisis, fortunately, there is opportunity. One of the things that we say is that, you know, when everything is going really well, you know, you have a good job, you're on vacation, drinking your pina colada, like who cares about emotional intelligence? But when someone kicks the sand in your face, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I really need some skills here. And I think the pandemic is kind of like the sand being kicked in our face. It's a great analogy. What about you, Summer? Do you want to chime in on this one? Yeah, I do. Um, you know what I think emotional intelligence does? I think it increases one's consciousness. And yes, it's we're in response to uh, mental health challenges in the world, but I also think the zeitgeist of social unrest is so important here, where when you get better at emotional intelligence, you are not only knowing what's going on with, like Summer knows what's going on with Summer, but then Summer has a better guess of what's going on outside of Summer. And, and it goes back to helping the group, collect the group, reach some goal or me to reach a goal that I want. I have a little short story is when I was giving a presentation to my team or to a group within my organization, I was selling them on how important emotional intelligence is and what they could do with it and giving them some examples. And my intentions before I used OG, it didn't work. I felt like people just didn't respond. They're just looking at me and I couldn't get them to really buy in and I have really strong relationships at work and I called a participant and I said, how's that? And she's like, it was horrible. And I was like, why was that horrible? And she said, you were just too excited, too high energy. She said, it just made me defensive. Like you weren't presenting the other side. You were just too gung-ho that wow. emotional intelligence was so important. <laughs> why didn't you show me what alternatives were? And I was like, oh, right. So I had a lack of consciousness. Like I didn't see that my extroversion, my high energy, my enthusiasm and liveliness was really creating the opposite that I wanted to see in my staff, which I wanted them to be accepting and curious and open. But the way I was showing up in my high extroversion and my high yellow, which is right, high pleasantness and high energy was actually having the reverse effect that I wanted to have happen. So now when I'm with this group, I think about what my goals are. I want them to be in a learning space. I want them to be a little less energy. I think we know, I mean, Mark and, and Andrew can speak more about it than I can, but we want to be in the green space to really get the acne of learning. And I bring myself down and I speak a little slower and I'm a little more breathy and my energy, my pleasantness is still so high. Like that is, he met me in a sandbox, Claire, many moons ago, I would have still been summer pool, um, <laughs> but I'm able to choose based on who my audience is, how I'm going to show up based on what I want them to understand and get from me. And I don't want to turn them off. And so the next time I came back, I was able to pick a feeling or a mood based on the mood meter that was really more productive. Makes absolute sense to be able to not just understand your 
mood and feeling in that moment, but having an awareness of other people's, that's obviously down to the program to have that awareness of being able to be a bit of a chameleon, I guess, and adapt and acknowledge other people might not be in the same color as you definitely can see that being so, so helpful, particularly within a high intensity workplace. Andrea, what about your good self? Yeah, what I was sitting there thinking about in Summer's example is something that Mark talks a lot about in his work and that we have picked up on and carried the water on throughout the OG program, which is we tend to judge our emotional experiences. And as a result, it gets even harder to regulate accordingly when instead, if we could be more curious about what we're feeling, there's a whole new level of opportunity that Summer just illuminated that, uh, wow, rather than feeling like, wow, put off that she triggered people because of her, you know, joyful spirit. She can have the awareness of saying, huh, I had an unintended impact on people. I need to think about how I want to show up so that I can really meet them where they're at and get a different result. And, and I've seen that play out with a variety of examples of people who go through the lab who say things like, um, you know, I had a contentious meeting to, to facilitate and I thought, what kind of emotion should I be experiencing for the best outcome of this meeting? And it probably falls somewhere in the green quadrant where there's this lower energy, pleasant feeling of feeling calm. And so, you know, in this VP's meeting, he actually said he came out with consensus as a result of his ability to regulate and stay there. And it's not going to happen like that every time, but it certainly would not have happened if he hadn't actually taken the time to think about how he was going to show up. Absolutely. And this work gets kind of deep because we start unpacking patterns of how we emotionally relate to certain situations or we emotionally relate to people as a result of how we were raised in our family of origin. And I think oftentimes for the first time in emotional intelligence training, especially with a focus on this emotion recognition part, we get a chance to really be curious around whether those patterns still serve us moving forward. It's not that we're throwing everything out and saying, you know, I did it all wrong before. No, in fact, many of those patterns helped us achieve what we've achieved today and got us to a place where we feel relatively safe in the world and are able to be competent at what we're doing. But, you know, the chance to look back and say, huh, you know, oftentimes I feel called to speak up in a meeting because I think I have something important to say, but I, I don't say it because there's some spark of fear. Well, is that fear valid? It might, do I work in an environment where ideas are shot down? Or is that on me because every time I spoke up in my family of origin, my ideas got shot down? Huh. Yeah. Now, and I get to have a different response as a result of that. And that is so freeing for people to realize that they can make a new choice, that they can regulate to something different, that they, their emotions don't have to be, you know, you don't have to wait for something to wash through you in order to like have a new emotion that all these feelings are temporary. And as a result, we can make a better choice about proactively where to shift to, to get a better outcome. You know, that probably in practice would take weeks to actually yes. <laughs> work sure. with a person on or people on, but that's potentially where people come out of this at is realizing that not only is it this individual skill, but it's a social skill, like the way some are related of like, I need to show up in a way that allows me to be more responsive and supportive of the outcomes we share together as a group. And it's no longer just an individual skill at that point. And becomes absolutely life-changing in all areas of one's life. It's quite incredible. I'm, I've got to be honest, I'm absolutely fascinated by it. A little bit then about the future for you guys as individuals, as human beings with feelings and emotions on that lovely spectrum. 
what does the future hold for you, Mark? What are you going for? World domination? Ruler being in every school in the universe? What's the plan? I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, I call it the emotion revolution. And that's that's my mission, is to infuse emotional intelligence into the immune system of our society, other cultures, learn from other cultures, find ways to make all people have the opportunity to achieve their dreams. I love it. I'm on board with your revolution. Summer, what about yourself with your line of work? What do you hope for for the future? Not just with emotional intelligence work, but uh, also for yourself. What are, you, what are your long-term plans? What do you want? Your goals? I would say um, these are my people, right? So anyone who <laughs> wants to talk about emotional intelligence, they always have an audience with me. It's, it's such a fascinating journey and it enriches my life. You know, I think I want to live in my highest vibrational resonance and EI is a part of that, right? And I think my goal is not to pass my trauma onto others. And I think That's regulation, EI, right? Which is for me at the end of the day, people, I mean, it's like, uh, Mark is not gonna like this, but if I was really gonna distill it down, it's like, can you self-regulate? Like, that's like the basic thing. And I want to make sure that what has ever happened in my family of origin or in my life or in the world or what I see, that I'm able to choose how I show up. So powerful, isn't it? It's unlearning those learned behaviors when we, we're so susceptible when we're so young. And I loved what you said, Andrew, and it's something I've said many, many times in my life is that no longer serves me. That, that way of thinking, that way of, of progressing no longer serves me. So I'm going to change it, you know, but it's having the awareness and what your program gives of the tools for everyday people to actually dig deeper and, and acknowledge them, recognize them and acknowledge them and then make that decision to make a change. What about yourself then, Andrea? What are you going for? World domination? What's the future hold for Andrea Hoban? <laughs> well, you know, we realized when we started saying, how do we get Mark's work out into the world that other than the historical model of teaching people how to teach it, train the trainer models, there wasn't anything really scalable and it prevented putting this work in the hands of as many people as possible. And so, you know, we're at this place in world history where technology is literally in the palm of everyone's hands or, or the majority of people's hands. And so it became very easier to offer a solution that really is scalable, that that allows more people. So a, a part of Mark's world domination plan is, uh, is OG. That, uh, that now you can, if you want, go to our website and buy the program for yourself or start a thousand people on it in your organization because it scales. It's different than the old model of, I'm taking the executive team off site for a day and a half and we're gonna teach them <laughs> emotional intelligence and check it off the list. Now we're saying you know that there's a big tier in the company that never got high quality education that could move the needle on their performance. That's where my focus is on is how to, put this in as many hands as possible because I know it really supports people in their own goals in life. It truly is world domination. That's what we're going for. So come on then, hit me up with this website. How can I find out more? If I've got people listening, I've got HR managers listening, I've got presidents and CEOs listening to this podcast. They need to get involved with this. They need their employees 
to get involved with this and reap all of the benefits? How do they find out more? Yeah, they can find us at oglifelab.com is where our, our website is at. It tells you more about the program. If you wanted to email us at support at oglifelab.com and even refer to this podcast, we'll give you a $50 discount on the program. It costs individually $349 for a person to go through it. So if you uh, wanted to try it for yourself and buy it and, and you can take advantage of that discount by emailing support at oglifelab.com, but we're happy to talk to you. You know, what we did with summer was actually come up with a plan, a deployment plan. So it wasn't like, Hey, everybody, you got this app. Good luck. <laughs> there was, um, there was some more structure to it that, that held people accountable to moving at a certain pace through the program. And while summer ran it, the, like she said, it wasn't like she's, you know, really, um, wrapping people across the knuckles here for not getting, um, to a certain place. There are companies that we work with that make this a mandatory part of their onboarding, for example. And so to support those objectives of helping emotional intelligence really infiltrate the culture in a way that supports the organization's objectives. We can be much more involved in setting up kickoffs or offering dashboard um, you know, views of how people are moving through the program and doing webinars basically that support progress through the program that's kind of at this meta level. You know, They're going through individually, but they're also having this community experience, which we find very, very useful to their growing skills. So yeah, yeah, talk to us. We'll be happy to walk you through different versions of how we have custom built plans like for Summer's organization that help groups of people, small or big, move through the program. You heard it here first. Look at that, a cheeky discount that I didn't even know was coming. So uh, mention the podcast, look at that. Mark, Summer, Andrea, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today. You've given me so much food for thought and uh, I think I might even dig out your bookmark. I might even crack open your book and have a little look at that. So thank you so much for your time today. I know you're super busy people, but you're doing an incredible thing and uh, it's all for the better of everybody, which uh, I find quite exciting, I've got to be honest. So thank you so much for your time and for coming on to the Curious Capitalist podcast with me. And uh, we've got lots of curious capitalists out there who listen to this podcast. You heard it here first. You need EI in your life and in your business. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Claire. Thank Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Curious Capitalist. If you would like to find out more about conscious capitalism, or if you would like to join the local chapter, visit the website connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org. The Curious Capitalist is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, subscribe to and share this podcast today. This podcast was created and produced by Red Rock Branding, redrockbranding.com.